Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Andy Staples on three here at SEC Media Days in Nashville. Jesse Simonson joining me. Day two. Day two. But we're talking about the number three, as in the three-peat that the Georgia Bulldogs would like to accomplish. Except, here's the problem, Jesse. That doesn't happen very often. It's really hard. It is. It's really hard. It's crazy, though, because on paper, in a vacuum, if we just forgot that Georgia won the last two national titles, we'd look at it and we'd go, yeah, this team probably should win again. (laughs) This team should win a national title this year or should coast into the playoffs because of his schedule. Yeah, I mean, when you have a schedule that's got favorite cupcakes from your local bakery, I mean, that's that's the schedule that Georgia's looking at right now. No Oklahoma. It was supposed it, to be Oklahoma, but there was a, a little snafu of taking Oklahoma into the league and going, <laughs> wait, we don't want one of those to be a non-conference and one of those to be a conference game, so let's just not do that. And that's a, honestly, that's a good uh, clarification for, well, why is Alabama and Texas still playing each right. other? Well, they're finishing the home that and home, home yeah. and home, yeah. whereas Oklahoma and Georgia will be starting it. But, yeah, I mean, just to say on the surface, Georgia is the preseason favorite to win a third straight national championship is actually a historical absurdity to actually say out loud. Minnesota was the last program to do it. I know you're probably assuming it was Ohio State or Oklahoma or Alabama. Take that to your favorite local Jeopardy. It was the Gophers, don't you know, and it happened in 1936. Gone with the wind hadn't been made yet. (laughs) So this is, this is what Georgia is, is up against, history, probability. As far as these things go, it feels like they are pretty well set up. But, again, probably what, what, the best since the team that you were on since Nebraska in, in the 90s. Well, I, mean, I, I was I not think on were, the Nebraska team. No, I was on the Florida team. On the Florida team, team that, that ruined Nebraska's. Well, that's the thing. I think – Everybody who had, had played the year before against Nebraska in the national title game, uh, the, the older guys, I think they looked at that and were like, I probably don't want to see Nebraska again. That was not a great matchup. And that team, that Nebraska team, was coming off 94 and 95. The 95 Nebraska team, one of the most dominant national championship teams that you will ever see. And that 96 Nebraska team was really good too. But they had the misfortune of just happened to have scheduled Arizona State in Tempe that year. It was a great Arizona State team, Jake Snake Plummer, which wound up, by the way, also factoring into the national title picture in the 96 season. And then they lose that game. They weren't out of it yet, but then they go play in this new thing called the Big 12 Championship game. And they're playing against Texas, and it was kind of a middling Texas team. But they had a quarterback named James Brown. They made a very daring fourth down call, a play called Roll Left. And that's why James Brown is now forever known as the godfather of roll. Not the godfather of soul. No, godfather (laughs) of roll. Uh, Famous in Texas and Florida Gators lore because That's a good nickname for a show that's going to tease some nicknames. That's exactly right. And, And he is going to knock Nebraska out of that. And so that Nebraska team, had they gone to the Fiesta Bowl that year and and played Florida State, there's a good chance they could have won that national title. And that team would have won four in a row because they ended up getting a piece of 97's national title too. But you've got, you got them. You've well, got, then the history lesson, I would say, yeah, is the two that yeah. I have more reticence with would be the famed USC teams. Now, yes. that one was a split title, yeah. but still, you I know. think if there's a four-team playoff in 2003, you could make a very good case for USC winning that national title. I'd, LSU and, and Oklahoma, I think, would have had problems with USC the way it was playing at the end of that season. USC mowed everybody down in 04, but they lost straight up to Texas in 05. I yeah. don't think if there would have been a four-team playoff, they still would have had to beat that Texas team. Maybe they would have, but maybe they wouldn't have. Yeah, and that, I mean, Vince Young was obviously insane. And then, obviously, uh, the, the Alabama team that attempted to do it was the kick six. And, yes. And 
Um, and I think if that. They, let's say they win that game. Let's say the kick six doesn't happen. Do they win the playoffs? Do they? Well, even if, the, if it was BCS, they, that Florida State team that won the national title that year would have been a really fun game against Alabama, and, and Florida State could loaded, have won that game. Loaded with defensive pros, yeah. Jameis Winston at quarterback. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I honestly, to circle it back to Georgia, I think that Florida or that, that Alabama team, the kick six team, probably is the most apt in terms yeah. of Alabama really wasn't challenged right. until the kick six. Yeah. And so you lose a heartbreaker, you, you don't have a chance to three-peat. Could that be what – it, could that be how Georgia stumbles their toe Alabama this year? Team. It's funny because we, we talk about Nick Saban only repeating once, and that was 2011 and 2012. But let's remember, they also won in 2009. That 2010 team... Which came back loaded. Had an incredible... I mean, think about this. You had, you had Mark Ingram coming off a Heisman Trophy. You still had Julio Jones. You still had Dante Hightower. You, you had Marcel Darius. You had uh, all of these people that wound up being great NFL players. You had Barrett Jones, who, was, who would go on to win the Outland Trophy. Loaded. That team lost three games. You had the Les Miles eating grass at, at LSU, that, that game. Then they go and Steven Garcia in South Carolina beat them. And then I, I think the South Carolina game was actually first. I think the, the LSU lost a second. And then the comeback, same year. Cam Newton coming back from, I mean, it looked like they were completely dead Cam in the first Newton half. Cam just single-handedly you know, dominating to, yeah. to win a national championship. That, but that's what can happen is, I, I do wonder, in 2010, if we were sitting at SEC Media Days, if podcasts were a thing that existed, I don't know if they were, YouTube shows definitely didn't exist, even though YouTube existed, would we have been like, oh, there's no question Alabama repeats here? Well, again, I mean, it's absurd. We're talking about something that hadn't, has, hasn't happened in almost 90 years in this sport. Yeah. When you're, we're out here talking about three-peats, the Chicago Bulls, the Los Angeles Lakers, yeah. the New York Yankees. None of these Georgia players were even born during that. No. <laughs> no, Pat Riley trademarked three-peat a lot well, you know, before these guys were a twinkle in anyone's eye. Yeah. So it's, it, is, it is truly amazing when you think about it. And, and that's what – so – the idea that they could win a third national title seems almost impossible when you think about it that way. But then when you just look at the how things lay out, it seems quite possible. Yeah. You, well, first, you take their schedule, obviously, you know, outside of the Tennessee game in Knoxville in November, I'm not sure they'll be less than, you know, even a 10-point favorite in any of those games. Yeah. Then you look at the roster. They probably have a top five or top ten unit nationally. Wide receiver, tight end, offensive best line. offensive line, yep. best defensive line, best secondary, and one of the best linebacking cores. Right. Kirby Smart, you're going to hear from him later in this show in an interview with Andy. You know, he, he kind of discussed the COVID baby class. Yeah. And that's this 2021 class. That's they, amazing. They didn't get to go visit campuses, couldn't take official visits. So they had to send in videos. They had to send in workout videos and examples. Well, Georgia, 17 of those 20 guys are still on the roster. Yeah. Would be 18 if A.D. Mitchell, who's caught a touchdown on every single one of their playoff wins, yeah, he's a Texas didn't have now. to go to Texas because his daughter, you know, to be closer to his daughter. Well, I mean, and, that, and, and that's Georgia an, also did take Missouri's best receiver and Mississippi State's best receiver out of the portal. For sure, for <laughs> sure. But that's just yeah. an absurd hit rate. Yeah, it is. It's it's pretty amazing. And and I'm going to run down. I'm a, oh, yeah, yeah. Go it, down it, the list. This, just, is, this it, is incredible. It, it's an absurd Cause, hit. Because it's one thing to say they all they're, stayed. They're still on the roster. They are contributing mightily. Yeah, you're talking about a Marius Mims, who's a starting right tackle. Both your starting inside linebackers, Dumas Johnson and Smile Munden. Your star cornerback in Kamari Lassiter, who's here. Yep. The best tight end in the country in Brock Bowers, who's here. Javon Bullard, one of the better safeties. Ingram Dawkins, starting defensive lineman. Chaz Chambliss, starting Sam linebacker. And then the rest of the guys are all guys on the two deep. Yeah. I mean... That right there, it's, you know, yes, you can point to uh, Georgia's recruiting for their success, obviously the, the resources and their investment in that program. But Kirby used a word today that I think probably should get more reticence around here is retention, staff retention, yeah. player retention. Yeah. That could be the difference. Yeah, and I go back to Clemson. I'm blanking on which years it was. I did, I did this when I was at SI. There was a four-year period, four recruiting cycles, where Clemson lost 
seven total players to attrition. Like, so guys who are not playing, guys who got kicked off the team, all that. Everybody else who left exhausted their eligibility or went to the NFL early. Like, that is the kind of thing you do when you're creating national title teams. And that's that did encompass national titles at Clemson as well. And it's hard to do. It's hard to create that level of culture where everybody wants to stay unless they're playing. Or unless they're not playing. That's the, the guys who aren't playing, they leave. Everybody else stays. And that's that's what George has had. Now, Amarius Mims, you mentioned, is an interesting one because he went in the portal for a minute. This Not, not this past offseason, but the one before. Dipped his toes. It looked like he was going to go to Florida State. And then basically somebody convinced him, hey, you know, you can still be a high-round draft pick at Georgia. You do not have to start for three years at Georgia to be a high-round draft pick. You might only have to start one year to be a high-round draft pick. Yeah, come in and, and, and start a couple college football playoff games and then start the you know yeah. the next dozen games in, in 2023. So let's – if they don't three-peat, what are some of the hurdles, challenges? I think we both agree – Maybe not. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not a, a game against an Auburn or Kentucky in the SEC. It's what happens if you lose a coin flip game to Ohio State, right? And that's, what happens if Michigan yeah. suddenly does what they've spent this whole offseason with a beat Georgia, right? Uh, you know, play in their in in their practice. You know, well, and, what and, if one of those two teams does end up, you know, catching you? Well, and I think that's the interesting part because as we sit here, that sounds like a lot has to happen. We're not even talking about a three-peat if Ohio State's defense gets one more stop in the Peach Bowl. That's how close that was. Well, yeah, the, mar- the margins are super thin. Yeah. When you get in a game like that, you have to be great. And so they're going to see somebody like that, whether it's in the playoff against Ohio State, perhaps in the playoff against Michigan. But there's a name we haven't mentioned yet, and it always comes back at SEC Media Day's to this guy. Old Nicky Saban? Nick Saban, that's right. We have not mentioned Alabama yet in this discussion, but obviously Alabama's there. LSU's there. Brian Kelly, he's taken teams to the playoff before. He took a team to the SEC championship game last year. I got the sense from listening to Brian Kelly yesterday, though, that he doesn't necessarily think they are as deep as Alabama or Georgia and, and maybe not ready for that spot yet? Gotta say, I gotta say, those comments are giving me a little reticence, Andy. I got, you know, I, I, I may be coming closer to your swinging back towards the tie. To, to the tie. I, I just think that he spent so much of this offseason glowing in well, the basket of did, beating they Alabama. Did, they did beat Alabama. Do you, th- do you think you got you got to cash in on that? Do you, like, do that you, doesn't always happen, so you got to cash in. Do you on think you some of it? Do you think some of his? Uh, tap breaking or break tapping however you want to say it it's because there's like two other national champions on lsu's campus right now and he's like whoa we don't want to i think it's a, a matter of managing expectations when when you do beat alabama and you make the sec championship game i think the sec championship game gave you a very good picture of where lsu is as a national title contender as they had about to play three touchdowns the, the, short right they'll they can get there like I, I i don't think they're that far off i think maybe a recruiting class or so away from the depth that you need. But he, it seems like he's just managing expectations, trying to be realistic. Alabama, on the other hand, is deep enough. We are not sure about their quarterback situation. We don't know what that's going to look like. We do know they're loaded on defense. We do know they'll have a pretty good offensive line. And we should learn. I think great to, backs. we probably will learn tomorrow uh, how optimistic, I guess, we should be about Alabama's quarterback situation, depending on what Nick says. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting reading his. It's going to be reading you are, between the lines. Yeah, right. It's, you not, it's, not, it's, lines it's, it's going to be nothing that he says verbatim. It's yeah. more of kind of uh, how he kind of presents that situation. Here's a hypothetical, though, okay. with the tide. Because of Georgia's just absurdly silly schedule, if they do slip up, Alabama once, will be much more tested. Let's say Alabama gets to Atlanta. They'll be much more tested when they get to Atlanta. Georgia will be playing the first team like this it has seen. If they slip up and lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game, do they get the Alabama 
break. The benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt that Bama got in 2017. Obviously, Georgia got that same benefit of the doubt two years ago. Yeah. But they had a couple other nice wins on the resume. Yeah. This year, there is no splattering of yeah. Oregon in week one yeah. that makes you say, I, I think, oh. I think that's going to depend on what happens elsewhere. Obviously, the Big Ten champ is going to be in the playoff, whether that's Ohio State, Michigan, maybe Penn State. Penn State's got some dudes this year. So some folks seem to think Drew Lark could be the, the you know the, the future. Right. So you've got that pot that's probably a spot taken. If Al- as as we're hypothesizing here, if Alabama wins the SEC, that's another spot taken. So that's two more spots. What if there's a really good Big 12 champ? I think they're going to eat each other. What I do too, it's possible. But here's another one. This is the deepest Pac-12 we've seen in years. The idea is they'll probably cannibalize each other. What if they don't? What if one is so high, you know, so far above the others that it winds up 13 and 0? And I think, in terms of teams that can compete for that title, USC, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, Washington—they're all in that mix. I think if we're talking about teams that could go 13 and 0, USC, USC, maybe Oregon. So. That's and then in your scenario, the irony is, is that in your scenario, it's not even necessarily a is. You, but then they, they take they, a spot, right? They yeah. take a spot. It's not necessarily they could beat Georgia, yeah, but or are better than Georgia, but they would take that spot. Here, let me tell you, let me tell me if this is a hot okay. take, because I, I think you yeah. have a, I think you have a good hot take barometer. Okay, all right. Georgia loses the SEC championship game to either Alabama or LSU. Uh huh. I think they have a greater odds of actually becoming the first team since the Gophers to three-peat. Because I don't think this Georgia team would lose twice this year. No, I don't think they'd lose again. So you don't think it that's a hot It would be a matter take. of them getting, getting in. It, it, getting shut out would be the question there, would be the problem because, because of the rest of your resume. And you think, the, res- you think the, the playoff field would actually leave no. the two-time? I don't, yeah. unless you had unless the spots get filled. undefeated Big 12 champ undefeated Pac-12 champ. And a spoiler Big like Ten Clemson champ. or Florida State. Clemson's the other one we didn't mention. And that's, that's the thing. I, well, Florida State's a good example. What if Florida State beats LSU, races through the, the ACC, or even loses to Clemson in the regular season, but, but, then avenges, gets revenge. but avenges it? All of a sudden, that's a possibility. So it, that, that's the part that could stop them. Is not If we're talking about this a year from now, and they were to lose that game, you don't worry about it. They're getting in, and then and then somebody's got to beat them. So that's just isn't that, isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Though, how, how where that program's at? That we're yeah. now saying that like they're over under win or loss total this year is probably still half a game. Oh yes, yeah, I mean like they're not going to lose twice. Yeah, their their season total is eleven and a half, and I'm pretty sure there's more juice on under. Like, but I'm even uh, saying for I'm saying yeah for the entire it just it's it's it, it is it, it tells where they are and it tells you that they have supplanted Alabama as the Darth Vader in the country. Now that may piss you off if you're an Alabama fan. I guarantee you, Nick Saban is using that with his players. I like we we joke about what are the Ohio State players saying and and coaches saying. That, that Michigan is, is doing the beat Georgia drill instead of the beat Ohio drill. Like, what are the Alabama people saying about that? Like, well, I don't know. What happened to we want Bama? Where'd that go? <laughs> where, where did that? Well, you know what? We may find that out. We're going to find that yeah, out. I, now, you still don't want Bama? Can I just, just throw that out there? Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> Nick Saban is still got his fastball. The man just yeah. landed historically uh yeah, the highest wise. rate numbers yeah. wise the best recruiting oh, class well, i got a little pushback from our, from our folks on my my statement yesterday that 08 is the greatest they recruiting didn't like class julio of all time. versus jalen waddle versus 2017 is pretty strong it is pretty good it's <laughs> alex leatherwood yeah. dylan yeah. moses tua <laughs> jedrick wills oh and mac jones yeah you, you, you go on down the list and find the 517th ranked player in the in the country that year mac jones who was a heisman finalist in a first round draft pick well, you know, and and now Georgia's racked up some of those recent classes. Yeah. With with their, we're going to be talking about, talking about that. Maybe about with the COVID those. baby class. Maybe with the COVID baby class. With the class two years ago, with the record fifteen, you know, NFL draft picks. Um, 
it was interesting that, you know, Kirby didn't get a ton of questions today about kind of the, the off-the-field stuff. And I think it's because you can kind of separate Georgia's quote-unquote cultural issue in terms of their speeding problem yeah. with the fact that they clearly – they don't have a bunch of guys transferring because they yeah. do have this retention where guys have bought in well, guy, and to eat off the floor. What was their yeah. mantra today was better never rest. Well, and, and look at what they've been able to do because it's not just do you get players drafted. It's where do you get players drafted. Their players are being drafted very high. Like their median draft position is higher than everybody else's right now. Right. So it pays to wait around. Urban Meyer had that going at Ohio State for a long time. Like remember, there was a several-year period at Ohio State where some guy who was a special teams ace and like the fifth DB – would start at corner for a year and be a first rounder like that that's they had that rolling for a while that feels like what georgia's got going now. and and ohio state fans are now screaming at andy saying that's what we're trying to get back to i know <laughs> i know and he only got one national title out of all that yeah. too that's what so but it it is really about who they're bringing in the fact that they're staying and and the reward for staying is a high draft pick. That's why they're willing to roll the dice and stay instead of all hit the portal. Yeah, and two of the guys that are here today are are guys that have developed and become. They were not five stars. Brock Bowers was a highly rated kid, but not yeah. a five star. Kamari Lasseter, not a five star, and they've developed where you see their name on these, you know, mm-hmm. early, you know, twenty twenty four NFL draft picks, and they're oh, that's a day one guy. Yeah. That's a day one. They're going to have more first rounders this year. It's it, it, it that that train isn't stopping anytime soon. When we come back, we'll hear Kirby Smart talking about that COVID baby class, and also would. This Kirby Smart offer high school Kirby Smart a scholarship at Georgia now. We'll be right back. Here with Georgia coach Kirby Smart, vacation almost over. But I hear the pickleball skill has greatly improved. I wouldn't say greatly improved. Really competitive. Uh, If anything, it's attributed to my weight loss, which is a good thing. I did get to play uh, probably more pickle this offseason than I did last year. I really enjoy it. Uh, Me and my wife get to play it, but uh, I'm not particularly good at it. I'm guessing you're a nightmare, though. Because of the competitiveness. <laughs> I'm a nightmare for my partner. <laughs> oh, and now, who's, who's better, you or your wife? You know, that's interesting because if you measure it on a scale of where she ranks among men, women and where I rank among men, she's uber more talented. But if you just compare us as equals, she, uh, she and I are probably about even. She's a big runner, so she, yeah. uh, her stamina Fit. probably much better. better than yours. But yeah, I like to take break between points. But you are an athlete. Like, I've noticed, like, the, the – Keely Ringo, no, 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 yes, 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 interception yeah. in that national championship. Well, you got off the ground. I was like, this Let man wasn't all SEC safety. That's right. And I was heavy carrying the high off the ground. So if you're creating the force to go vertical that high with that much weight, it's a it's it's a good high, it's a good it's a good vertical leap. You you might get offered by this Georgia team. Maybe. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no. no chance. No, no, seriously, do you no chance. Do you think you would have been offered by this this no talent chance, level? Because I would have been in charge of it. <laughs> yeah, so if I'm the head coach, I'm not signing me. Really? No question. Wow. Now, i got to ask you this because I've heard you answering questions today. You've gotten multiple three-peat questions, and you've actually answered them, which surprises me a little bit because Mm -hmm. I I know how you designed the mental architecture of your program. (laughs) Wrote two books with Trevor Moad, so I understand the the outcome process part. And you train these players not to think about outcomes, not to talk about outcomes. How do you deal with that when all they get from the outside is outcome? I think you keep going back to the narrative of better never rest. It's not about a three-peat. It's not about an outcome. It's not about an opponent. It's about us, man. Yeah. And people say that all the time, like, oh, yeah, whatever, that's coach speak. And I'm like, no, it's real with us because we really believe that if we do what we do better, then we're going to beat who we play. And if we can out-physical them at the point of attack, then we're going to beat who we play. And that's all we worry about is how we play. I was talking to Cedric Grandparent about this, and he said he thinks he always was – that process oriented, but he needed somebody to kind of unlock it. He needs somebody to tell him how to do that. Yeah, that probably makes sense. He's very process oriented. He's a he's a deep thinker. He's a very serious guy. Uh, he cares so much about the game, the mm-hmm. team, the the university that he kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve. And well, and, and you got guys like that. Even Brock Bowers, who you said doesn't doesn't talk at all. He said, you know, 
Kirby says something you do soft one time. You're going to try to make sure it's never soft again. <laughs> That's good. I mean, it means I at least got to him because uh, Brock's hard. To, he's, he's hard to frustrate. Well, that's what he said. He, he said he gets a lot of soft Napa Valley stuff, but he can't tell anything about wine. So he, he, I asked him what pairs with a good cab. He said he doesn't know. He so. doesn't have a clue. So you were talking about this COVID baby class. Yeah. And, and Brock, you know, year after that, but also was one of the guys who couldn't take a lot of visits. I was talking to Will Muschamp about this last year, and he said they, you guys like these guys to see you practice, to yeah. see you work out, to understand how they're going to be coached. How is it that that group – was so able to come in and deal with the way they're going to be coached and the way y'all work without that. I think the, 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 the barometer for taking kids in that class was, hey, let's shoot out a video and sample and say, this is how we want you to work out. We want to see you do this workout. Okay. And if kids took the time to actually set up a phone, video themselves doing these exercises, it meant they gave a oh, enough yeah to like really care inherently like a Javon Bullard pops in my head because he's out in his backyard because he couldn't go anywhere else and mm-hmm. he was setting up cones and doing drills and I'm like this guy's in weeds out there doing the drills if he's willing to do this there's a good chance he's willing to fit our, our culture so basically that was the the test that was a barometer yeah and, and most of the kids bought into that and said you know what I'll do it and I'll do it and I'll do it and you know they, they weren't stuck on their rankings it was a unique class have, have you used that sense where you got the visits back but now can you give them homework and see see if they we do really it? haven't and probably should but most of them will say well i'll be there in june to work out for camp i'll be there and you know you're coming to see me coach in spring you just watch me there less of the i'm going to go out and initiate it myself it almost feels like when when you go on the interview and they take you to lunch and they're really watching how you treat yeah. the wait staff but it, you know we're, how you do anything is how you do everything yeah. and that's uh, I, I'm telling you, that makes sense. It does. So. It helped us. It helped us make some tough decisions without all the information we typically have. Well, you, you've got everybody now. I, I still don't believe you wouldn't sign yourself. I wouldn't but sign myself. No chance. I'd give myself a walk-on. A preferred walk-on, maybe. That's right. Not PWO. a crawl-on like Dabo said. That's right. Not all like right. Muschamp, but not a PWO. <laughs> all right. Appreciate it, Kirby. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, guys. Welcome back. We're here at SEC Media Days. Jesse, we we got to talk about Auburn. Hugh Freeze was here talking about a team that probably will be unrecognizable to people who watched Auburn last year. And, and for many Tigers fans, they say, thankfully so. Right, right. <laughs> Brian, the Brian Harson era did not go as anybody planned, although I think a lot of the, the Auburn folks probably knew that from the beginning of it and, and knew, knew yeah. they would be here at this point. But that doesn't make it any easier when Hugh Freeze has to come in and completely revamp the roster. Yeah, I think 40 40- some odd uh, players are either in or out. You know, Hugh has yeah. been as aggressive in the transfer portal. Um, yeah. Really, you know, he hasn't really. The, the Auburn's. It's not like the roster reckoning that's happening. You know, uh, in at Colorado or right. Arizona State. Oh, he was. But yeah, it he is. Wasn't, but it is dramatic. Right. And uh, he wasn't throwing everybody out. There no. Were, there were people there that he liked and and who can play. Yeah. And but he still did identify both in the first window and then certainly in the second spring window a ton of you know positions of need and so Auburn hammered yep. offensive line yep. hammered defensive line you're, linebacker you're, you're going to see transfers from Ole Miss from Kentucky from Florida International from Western Kentucky from Appalachian State I mean they really scoured and and you don't don't forget Michigan State they got to maybe starting a quarterback exactly. so yeah it, it is a, it is a such a I guess we should get used to this because there, there are going to be a lot of times when you have a first-year coach come in. USC, I guess, was a little like this last year, but it was such a different situation with Lincoln Riley kind of bringing, bringing his luggage, which was uh, – it wasn't Louis. It was, what's more expensive than Louis? Hermes? Not like, a, you're, you're, I'm talking over my head on that, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, Link, Not Lincoln Samsonite. Ra- really expensive luggage. <laughs> Not Samsonite. But, so Hugh Freeze comes in from Liberty and has to overwork this roster. There, there was – you know, you go back to 2012 when Hugh Freeze took over at Ole Miss. That roster, probably in worse shape than this Auburn roster was when he got there, but no transfer rules to allow you to overhaul it as quickly as, as they have. Yeah, and, you know, and Hugh's going on this. He talked a lot today about he wants to flip the script. That's kind of his mantra this year. That's his mantra this year. Yeah. Mantra this We're getting year. a lot of themes from yeah, these teams. Yeah, uh, you know, and I do think they can – I think a guy like Peyton Thorne raises their floor because, you know, Robbie Ashford, quarterback, 
a year ago, dynamic athlete, but he completed 49% of his passes, and he just they didn't they didn't have a passing game with a pulse. At least Thorne, 50 some odd touchdowns in his career. He did help Michigan State, you know, lead them to that uh, Rose Bowl, right. you know, two years uh, ago. Not uh, Rose Bowl. Not Rose Bowl. Uh, excuse me, Peach Bowl. Uh, Peach Bowl but ele- eleven and two seasons. Now, excuse I believe me. Kenneth Walker may have had. Oh yeah, something to do with that. And, that, and that's that's sort of the issue with with the Mel Peyton Tucker Thorne. says thank you. Right, that the Peyton Thorne thing. How much of that success and Mel Tucker same thing was just they got lucky on Kenneth Walker in the transfer portal. Yeah, because their defense was terrible that year too. Ironically, I mean the secondary was awful. Even right. you know, and so and Kenneth Walker just single-handedly rolled them, willed them to to those eleven wins. I that'll be a question. Certainly, when we talk Michigan State later this year, that that'll come up a bunch. Yeah, and and we'll we'll find out. But Hugh Freeze is an interesting one because he got to the SEC the first time around at Ole Miss, made them fairly competitive very quickly despite inheriting a terrible roster at the end of the Houston nut era. Then they started getting talent, and then they started beating Alabama. Like, they beat Alabama two years in a row. And you can say what you want about Chad Kelly throwing the ball up, not knowing it was going to hit anybody in the head, not knowing it was going to bounce to him for a touchdown. They beat Alabama two years in a row. They did not have the level of talent Alabama had. So Hugh Freeze gives you a puncher's chance. What do you think? What do you think? You know, because Hugh talked a little bit about this today. What do you think about Hugh not calling plays? Now he taught he in his appearances. Yep. You know, I thought it was kind of interesting that he said, you know, the guy in Tuscaloosa, the King Nick Saban, and then another guy, which I think he was alluding to Kirby Smart, but I'm not exactly sure that they that he has gone and spent time with them, mm-hmm. kind of doing the coaching circuit. What do they you know, hate? The, yeah. the, the, you know, how do you do this? How do you scheme yeah. this up? And it's because he wasn't in the SEC anymore. He could so do that, he, yeah. He could do that. He feels like they know his secrets a little bit. Yeah. And so Philip Montgomery, former head coach at Tulsa, he is now actually so going to be in former charge. Former OC at Baylor. Former OC at Baylor. For Bryles. And we talked about this yesterday. That offense used to be a secret Bryles was very secretive about it. It is not a secret anymore. I mean, Heupel's running his own version of it. Tennessee runs it. Ole Miss runs it. And now Auburn has somebody who's well-versed in it. And it's interesting because it is something that has been used in the past to, to equalize talent gaps. And then Auburn, because of the program it is, can close that talent gap with a couple good recruiting classes and then what is, what's it going to look like? Yeah, and they've and again, Hugh Short, I think the offensive line is going to be way better than it was a year ago. Uh, my concern for the Tigers would just be, at, you know, last year they might have had the worst wide receiver room in the SEC. How much better is it this year? Right. Right, and, and we don't know. Honestly, I would like to pretend that we have broken down the film of every single person who transferred to Auburn. We can tell you who's going to start and who's would not. It would take a while. It's not <laughs> – it's not going to happen. I, I don't know that Hugh Freeze could tell you exactly who his biggest contributors are right now. Well, one of the guys better be Brian Beatty, the running back from yes. South Florida. And that's not because, you know, I think Auburn, if Jarquez Hunter is available, might have one of the better one-two punches. But right now, we don't really know what's yeah. happening with that situation. Hugh could not comment on it. Yep. It seems like it's an ongoing deal, maybe a little more in the summer. But you know they're going to need Beatty, who rushed for a thousand yards last season, to contribute, whether Hunter's available or not. Because I just don't think, even if Thorne is pretty good with the weapons they have out on the perimeter, I just think they're after they're going to lean on the ground and, game. And the question is, what is this offense? Is it a marriage of what Montgomery's done in the past and what Hugh Freeze has done? Is it what Montgomery's done? Because if it's closer to what Montgomery's done, you can lean on the run game. That's that offense is designed to run for 400 yards a game if you're doing it right the wide those those wide wide splits wide hashes give you a lot of space in the exactly right i mean ask lane kiffin that's exactly what lane kiffin had to do last year when they couldn't get their passing game going so yeah i i think that's the part i i'm fascinated by is we've seen hugh freeze do this in a worse situation where he's made them competitive so can he make auburn a team that can scare an Alabama, scare a Georgia, can beat a Texas A&M. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, and the, you know, this will change next year with the, with the 
the new schedule, the 2024 schedule with Texas and OU, but you're talking about an Auburn program that every year has to play Georgia and Alabama. Yeah. And, and, they're, and they're still going to when they go to nine games because they will to, eventually go to nine games. Which we both are in the – they are so stupid that they did not do that in 2024 they sh- they camp. Have, but but at, le- at least they, they didn't get rid of Tennessee, Alabama, yes, at Texas, least they, and Texas A&M. And at least, Georgia, Auburn, yeah. those sorts of rivalries. Right. So, but I, the, but the, they play Cal this year, which is going to be a, like a funky game. Yeah. And they open it. Is that their opener? No, they their opener is against UMass. Okay, and then they and then they then they play Cal. Cal's gonna be, Cal's another team that's really hammered the transfer portal. Yeah, uh, we don't know what they're gonna be. It's it's almost like they got all the the money that they didn't get for leaving with with uh, with <laughs> yeah. UCLA and yeah. USC. It was like, well, suddenly we'll just spend those funds on some players. Well, and Justin Wilcox kind of coaching for the job this year Spavitals, as well. Spavitol's the OC uh, now. Jake Spavitol's the new OC there. He's been the OC there before, uh, but we so we have you know some idea of what that offense is going to look like. But uh, it, then Texas A&M in College Station, September 23rd. I'm peeking over your shoulder here. That is a brutal three-game stretch. Uh, you A&M. Mean A&M, Georgia, LSU. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm circling Texas A&M on this schedule and not Georgia or LSU because that's the one where they got a chance to make something happen. September 23rd in College Station. Now, you want to cause some existential crisis in Aggieland, you go win that game. Yeah, which was would be highly ironic because Auburn fans for years pined to try to get Jimbo Fisher to become their head coach. Right. Back when they had Gus, right when they got, you know, Brian Harson, it was, yep. why didn't we go pay for Jimbo? Yeah. And now they could be the, they, if the, if. In our year of hypotheticals, if Auburn goes to A&M at the end of September and beats the Aggies, that could be the uh, the, the early yeah. doom. The scar- he could be wearing the Ka- Scarlet A. Kind of depends on what happens to the Aggies in, in Miami, but kind of doesn't. Like, if you lose to Auburn. God, if they what, lose twice with, in the first month. <laughs> what's coming up next? And that's that's the thing. The end of the SEC West, Let's uh, we pour out a little. I don't have the watermelon moonshine that I had yesterday. But if I had how was it, that? Surprisingly refreshing, kind of dangerous. Like yeah. you could drink a lot of it fast, and that could be a problem. Yeah. But if I had some, I'd be pouring out a little for the SEC West and the the sheer meat grinderness of the SEC West. <laughs> like, do you think about that? If you're A and M and you're Auburn, you got this game against this team that probably is going to challenge you, either direction, and then it only gets worse. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Miss again, Mississippi State fans are all up in my mentions because I have the audacity to put a team last, and I get it. Somebody's got to finish last. They could absolutely scare somebody with Will Rogers and, go, and go into hundred percent. What happened two years ago when they went into? Well, you're going uh, to hear from Woody Marks later in the show. They're running back, and that dude's going to in this new offense. That dude's going to be really good. Well, he's just happy he actually gets to run the football. Right, well, he, <laughs> hey, listen, he got to catch it before, but yeah, yeah. He, he can definitely run it. And uh, but yes, the, that that meat grinder of the SEC West, it's not going to be like that again. Now, it, it it's obviously going to be hard with Texas and Oklahoma, and and you're just running through the whole thing. But the year in year out, just oh my god. How do we deal with all of this? Well, and that's why when you do the little fun game, and fans like to do it, we like to do it. Everybody, when you do the win-loss, win-loss down the schedule, yep. that's why I think even if, if Hugh gets to six wins in year one, I think that's fine. I think that's fine. Yeah, I know Auburn has bigger expectations than that, and they, you know, they want to get back into the national relevancy. But if they go bowling uh, and they do pull off an upset yeah. or they look frisky, I think that, that, that certainly will set them already, up for some they're momentum. They're already recruiting in a way. Like, he's gotten the quarterback he wanted for 24 in that class. So, and they are recruiting oh, yeah. the way they want to recruit. They beat out Georgia for one of the you know, top-flight linebacker, I think, last month. And yeah. So, so I, think, I think they're in good shape, like you said. Bowl eligible, frisky at the end of the season. A lot of the things we say about Florida, actually, uh, just a year later. Florida, Florida's in year two, but kind of needs the same – Name, same thing. Maybe with a little less fan apathy. <laughs> yeah, that's a difference. But that's a different story. That, For that, sure. That, one, that one's going to be judged on who's contributing at the end of the year. Is it guys that Billy Napier recruited? You know, with, with this one, this is a all hands on deck, 
Let's pull what we can out of the transfer portal and then start recruiting for the future. And how much better will Auburn be just with the fact that everyone seems to be, you know, swimming in the same direction compared to, so different. Compared to what was happening a year? I mean, the team literally was no different. Brian Harson gets fired. Cadillac Williams gets promoted, and suddenly guys are playing hard. Well, you know what else happened on that same day? <laughs> Tell me. John Cohen was announced as their AD. Oh, yeah. that's, so that's it is a, yeah, it, yeah. They are... They feel like they're in a much more Another aligned place. Another Mississippi State reference. Uh, now, listen. Auburn and alignment aren't always words you use in the same sentence. And I don't, I'm not going to predict that suddenly all the, the meddling and all the other things that have happened at Auburn over the years are going to stop. I don't know that. But it feels right now. You're saying Auburn, be, Auburn's being Auburn is, is, yeah, is yeah. a name Perhaps for a reason. It's, maybe it's a honeymoon phase, but it feels like everybody likes where they're at right now. Yeah. And I, you know what? I guess to circle this around back to the schedule, the funny thing is the very next week after, after that LSU game, oh, you, it's Ole Miss and it's the Lane Kiffin Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you, SEC West. We are going to miss you. We are absolutely going to miss you. When we come back, though, we're going to talk about the guys in the stripes. SEC coordinator of officials John McDade joins us to talk about a big change in the rules with the clock and a very interesting change spurred by a result in the SEC last season. We are here with John McDade, the SEC's coordinator of officials, former referee, gourmand, guy who... We met because I found out you were taking restaurant recommendations for my columns. Good, good morning, Andy. Absolutely I was. I would go to your column, and I would go to the end to see what, was he, what Andy's eating, um, and then I would go to the top and read the rest of the article. Oh, you don't need to read the rest. Like, you started at the best part. So, well, and, and so now, we, now that John is not officiating games anymore, we can text back and forth about where he is and where he's going to eat and that sort of thing so i can i can give now i missed destin this year yes did you go to the red bar i i didn't go to the red bar for the sec spring meeting but i did make it down there during the sunbelt spring meeting how do we feel about it oh we love that place good all right that's my my death row meal the red bar in grayton beach it is the blackened grouper over a fried grit cake followed up with key lime pie it's it's the, it's the best. The only thing you could complain about that place at all would be the parking situation. And even that's not <laughs> enough to negate no, what happens when you No, you need to park like two miles away now. They, <laughs> it's a nice walk. Let's put it that way. But So you've got a very big job this year as you, you're, you're managing all the officials. But there's, there's a big change in college football because they've changed the clock rules. Uh -huh. the, you know, I, I know... Those of us who are very in the weeds, everybody who reads and, and listens to this show, they know there's something, something's coming. But I guarantee there will be millions of people watching that first week that go, clock didn't stop on first down. What happened? Yes. You know, it's, it, the challenge is there's nothing complex about the rule. Right. right. There's nothing complex about any kind of mechanic changes we need to make. The challenge is just being consistent. Yeah. Um, there'll be instances where we do stop it erroneously. Yeah. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I, I'm willing to bet, you know, one or two times over those first two weeks that we'll mistakenly do that, just trying to get used to the new rule. But creating consistency, and it also raises awareness to the timing rules, such yes. that there's all there's many aspects of the timing of the game that are probably going to have more scrutiny than we've ever recently had. Yeah. And that's going to put more that, that much more of a challenge on us to be consistent week in and week out. Well, and I'm curious, you. Were a referee, or you were you were in the Big East, yes. and you were a back judge. Started first. as a back judge, then yeah. moved to referee prior to leaving. In the Big 2006, East. when they changed the clock rules, that's correct. What was that like? I, it, that was so. That's yeah. a that, that's a great question. I remember in 2006 the the radicalness, if that's a word, of the time right, and rules was was clock kept running on change of possession. At change of possessions, we had uh, there was a. Uh, uh, we started it when the ball was kicked on free kicks. We did all sorts of wild things. I mean, yeah. that was wild. Yeah. This year, not so much. Yeah. Mean, we just, we're just keeping the ball, the clock running after the ball is uh, a first down in bounds. Yeah, I think with some college football fans, is they don't like anything that, that sort of mimics the NFL, and this does mimic the NFL game. Yes, it does. Uh, it, it, you guys 
are fairly agnostic on this stuff, right? In terms of... Yes, that's correct. Because I think, you know, the commissioner level, those people, the, we, we, we try to ascribe a reason why they're doing this. And my cynical view is obviously you want to fit it into TV windows like the NFL does. You, you want it to look like that. But I would imagine you guys don't care one way or the other. The only reason we, we would care is, um, you know what? It, it, it takes a lot to be focused for three and a half hours. Yeah. It takes a lot to be focused for 180 plays. Or if you have that type of game, a game that has 200, 210 yeah. plays. That's the only reason we have any thought in the matter. We've got to keep focus on however long the game is. Yeah. Well, and, and the focus part is amazing to me because you, you were going, you, you did a presentation to the, the big media room earlier today, and you were going over a play from the Kent State-Georgia game last year where Kent State was doing several things in terms of moving guys on and off the line of scrimmage, receivers who were covered up and then were uncovered, and then somebody's in motion, and, and basically trying to, to get more guys in the backfield than you're supposed to be able to have. I can't imagine trying to do that math <laughs> 200 times a game if both teams were up-tempo. and uh, Many times, ma clear majority of times, when we have a mistake, whether it's an incorrect call or a missed call, and we try to get to the root cause, yeah. it comes back to focus. We just yeah. lost focus. Yeah. And it's uh, we have a game that's three hours and 40 minutes, let's say, and 190-plus uh, plays. It's hard to keep your focus yeah. the entire time. So, and, and I, I'm always fascinated when there's a rule change or just an adjustment to how rules are interpreted based on something that happened in a game. And, and last year you had one. You had the Kentucky-Missouri game. And then Kentucky Kentucky's up. They're punting. Ball snapped over the punter's head. 35 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Missouri player just tackles him as, as he's trying to kick the ball. The referee immediately throws the roughing the punter flag. And I, you were going over your conversation with the referee from after the game, and he had called it exactly the way the rules say to call it. Yes, except for there's the interpretation. Right. Is it obvious the kick's going to be made? And that, right. that's the rub, right? But the guy, the guy had his hands on the ball and, and underneath, and it looked like he was going to kick. Gave no indication he was going to run with the ball. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So, but common sense to the viewers, like, wait, they're 35 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Why is this being treated? And I didn't realize you guys had changed the rules, what, about 10 years ago, to account for rugby punts. That's that when that rugby punter gets five yards outside, when they get outside the tackle box, you can do whatever you want to them. But that one, because it went straight over the guy's head, was in the tackle box. Yes, it was, uh, it was, it was almost a freak occurrence that a snap that right. over his head would stay yeah. exactly in the tackle box the entire time. And this is, this is a, to give people context, this is a 21-17 game. There's two and a half minutes to go. If there's no roughing the kicker call, Missouri gets the ball on the Kentucky four-yard line. So they can punch it in, maybe win the game. Instead, Kentucky keeps the ball. They end up winning the game. And so you guys made it called an editorial... Editorial change. Change. And now, if that happens, they're probably not throwing the flag. Not throwing the flag unless he otherwise comes in and fouls him right. through unnecessary roughness. Right. Which in that particular play... Yeah, he, just made, he, made, a, he made a football play. He made a rugby tackle, basically, yeah. yeah. So it was about the safest tackle he could have made. Exactly. So it, it, it is fascinating to me. And one other thing in your, in your presentation that I, I found very interesting, because it drives me crazy, and this is not unique to the SEC. This is actually not unique to college football. It feels like in college football and the NFL, a lot of offenses just try to bail themselves out by throwing underthrown balls, intentionally underthrown balls, where you're forcing a situation where a DB's in good position and the receiver initiates contact fighting back toward the ball, but it's really a ball that they don't expect him to catch. They're trying to get a call. And you were talking about that today because you, you said you guys talked to coaches about what techniques they coach. And you showed some video of a DB in that situation who instead of trying to keep the receiver between him and the quarterback, was tracking the receiver's hip and staying right on him behind, you know, between the receiver and the quarterback. And so now maybe that's not going to get called as much. Probably not. Um, at least, you know, that, that's what we're going to be talking to our officials about. He, you know, the, we had 
we had a philosophy for years that said that if a defender is beat and not playing the ball, right. he's two strikes against him, right? And he can't come in early to the body. Mm -hmm. What we're saying now is in that particular play, he's not playing the ball. Right. Unless he has but he's not taught around. to play the ball. But he's not taught to play the ball. Yeah. You're exactly right. Um, it, but he's not beat either. Right? right. He's in exactly the position he wants to be, the most advantageous position he believes mm -hmm. and his coach believes that he should be in. Yeah. And therefore, we're not going to penalize him for being in that position. Yeah. Now, he can't pin an arm down. He right. can't tug at a shoulder. He can't overtly just run through them if he's trying to come back. Yeah. But if the receiver tries to slow down and come back, and that's what's creating just as much contact yeah. against the defender – then maybe it's not maybe it's not a foul. That's that's good because that's uh, I'm tired of well, offenses sure getting that, bailed out yeah. on third and fifteen let's because they sure intentionally underthrow. Let's make sure we're <laughs> okay. clear, Andy. Defensive pass interference still a very tough tough play. To I sure. I agree, and I'll tell There's you a lot of gray. Out I'll there. tell you where where I have some experience there. We, we met in Athens, Georgia, at the spring <laughs> game in 2019, and it was the SEC did something that I it, it's one of the most educational things I've ever gotten to do. So they brought a bunch of us in, and we got to officiate the second half of the Georgia Spring game. And I was, I was a line judge. You were you were shadowing the referee. I believe Dusty Dvorak was our, our referee, and I threw a flag <laughs> for defensive pass interference. And so I and now I'm the line judge. I'm not really in position, but it looked like something happened. So I throw the flag, and if you if you watch the broadcast. This is when they had Maria Taylor was on the field yes. next to Kirby. Yes. And Kirby goes, oh, no. And, and it's not, oh, no, my DB screwed up. It's, why did this idiot throw the flag? It's the second half of the spring game. I'm trying to go home. And so I, I run out there, and you're standing behind Dusty. And Dusty's like, okay, what you got? And I'm like, what do you mean what I got? Pastor Ferris, didn't you see that? And he's like, what number defender? And I'm like, Oh, crap. <laughs> I don't remember what the number was. I was like, can we pick up this flag and just go? So I, I run, grab the flag, and then just run back to the sideline as fast as I can. I'm glad you had a good time with it. Uh, we haven't done that since the pandemic. Obviously, we couldn't do it during the pandemic. Yeah. And we haven't done it since the pandemic. But um, those were unique experiences. Well, it's so fast. And I remember you guys telling us, if you think this is fast... Imagine how yeah. fast the real game is, and then imagine how fast an NFL game is. Yeah, exactly. It's the uh, and and it, it's the, it's fast, and it's also um, you know the best example is it's an overthrown ball, and you're at high school level, like no one's catching that. Ball. Yeah. Then you get to the college level, uh, Division One FBS, and you're like, you know what, this guy might catch this ball. Yeah. You get to the NFL, more They're times than not, he's catching that <laughs> yeah. ball. It, the athleticism just jumps off the page. It is, it is crazy. Another one I, I missed on that one, by the way, is a, a Jake from intentional grounding play. <laughs> Near the goal line. So I'm working my mechanics. I went from the line of scrimmage to the goal line to, to make sure I'm looking down the goal line as the play moves along. And then Jake gets pressured, and he throws laterally, but a little bit forward. Ball goes out of bounds before, the line, before it reaches the line of scrimmage. Didn't get that. Yeah. I got I got dinged for that one. <laughs> you you would have been yelling at me on Monday about that. Absolutely. Well, let's hope a crewmate would have come in and bailed you out. That's that's what I'm hoping. Now the other thing <laughs> that you talked about today that I thought was was really interesting and, and something to keep in perspective. We see when a, when an official makes a bad call or they miss a call. We see that, and especially if we're a fan of of the team that is aggrieved, that is the only call we've ever noticed that official make. And you, you did the math on how many calls per – how many calls is it per year or how many plays They're per probably, year? probably – an official seen 10,000 plays per year. Per year. And so you're evaluating on 10,000 plays and not one play. Exactly. I, 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 I thought that was very good. You, you mentioned, like, they're not going to bench a quarterback because he threw one interception out of 500 attempts. Yes. If it's, if it's his 13th interception in six games, maybe. Yeah, exactly. But not just because of that one interception. Yeah. But, it's, it, it, but we get so bent out of shape about the You know what? The, 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 the passion and the, most, the emotion is what makes it so special. Yeah. Unfortunately, it works against officiating. 
right? Oh yeah. And it's just it's it's what we sign up to. Yeah. Um, I get it. I get why. Um, you know, fans is is, is short for fanatic, fanatical. Yep. Uh, but um, yeah, we just got to remember that. You know what? They didn't officiate just that one play. They officiated 180 this Saturday, and that just in the first game they worked for us. They worked many, many, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of reps. Yeah, we're, we're judging them and with inside. Not the easiest job in the world. I'm glad somebody wants to do it. I don't. John, thank you so much. Absolutely, Andy. It's great to see you. <laughs> All right. We're here with Woody Marks from Mississippi State, and this has been a very different year for you. Obviously, Mike Leach passes away. Uh, Zach Arnett gets the job, and he brings in Kevin Barbet to run your offense, and now it is a completely different offense. What, what has been, what's it been like for the past eight months? I'll probably say um, we just been again used to the offense and used to different types of um, formations and stuff mm -hmm. coming out the center, the mm -hmm. pistol, and just doing different things. And basically offense still, like the past concepts are the same. Yeah. They are the same. It's just called different names. Now, as a running back, though, what you're doing probably feels a little bit different. I, I, you know, in the air raid, you're doing a lot of the like, angle routes and it, you're kind of a safety valve in a lot of those plays. How much more do you have to do? Uh, we got a little more um, different kind of routes coming yeah. out this offense. Yeah. And there's some good routes here. Right. I think it's a good right. routes. Some man beaters, some zone beaters. So. Well, and, and now running ball, you got a lot of a little bit of outside zone, stuff like that. What What's that like in terms of reading blocks and being patient? And uh, it's, it's different, way different from the air raid because you're on the coming from the side. Of, so we're coming out the pistol, we're doing outside zone, stretch runs, mm. and we're coming from the side doing outside zones, yeah. and we're doing inside zones. Power, counters, mm -hmm. we, we didn't run counters in the air raid. So. Do you, did you do any of this stuff in high school? Is this, I did, yeah, I did a little bit. Kind of a, th a throwback for you? Yeah. Is, it, is that stuff that, that comes back pretty easily, the – yeah, I, um, I got I got used to the offense pretty easy because I still got it in me. I'm an athlete, so I'm, yeah. I took two years off. I feel like I took two <laughs> years off, but I still got it in me, so it came easy. So how has Coach Arnett kind of made this job his own? Uh, I think I think it just rolled over as of everybody like on the team mm -hmm. had a good relationship with Coach Arnett, mm -hmm. and coming from the defensive side, yeah. he just rolled over pretty good being the head coach and bringing all the stuff to the offense. Now, those defensive coordinators like to talk trash to the skill guys on offense. Yeah. How much trash did he talk to you as the D.C. before he became head coach? I'd probably say the most trash talking he talked to the offense was to the O-line. Okay. Yeah, so I think he's pretty nice to the skilled players, but the O-line, he talked trash to them. Now, you got an offensive lineman who goes by Dollar Bill. Mm -hmm. Like, how safe do you feel walking around with a dude – that everybody calls Dollar Bill, Dollar who Bill? weighs 300 pounds. I feel safe with him. He made Dollar Bill, so he got some money. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I, I, I just remember talking to Coach Leach a few years ago, and he was talking about d different guys on the line. He's like, yeah, we, we got Dollar Bill. I was yeah. like, you got a dude named Dollar yeah. Bill? Dollar Bill, <laughs> Chop. <laughs> there you go. Well, you, you do realize that Mississippi State has one of the great all-time offensive line nicknames they had mm -hmm. uh, a left tackle named floyd pork chop womack pork so chop? pork chop that's right <laughs> so that and that's what like a lot of times the nicknames don't get out of the locker room but yeah. it seems like with you guys like you know you're yeah. you're everybody calls you woody mm -hmm. nobody it, it, nobody's calling joquavius is your is your given name so mm -hmm. who who calls you that uh really my whole family called me woody um, okay I really, when I got to college, well, it started in high school. I once, I once scored in an away game, mm -hmm. and they said my name wrong, and my mom got mad. Oh no! She was like, and she went up to the press box, and she was like, "Just call him Woody." And like, went away game again. Yep. They said it wrong. She was like, "Call him Woody." Then she was like, "Just, just go by Woody." <laughs> how did now? How did you get that nickname in the family? Uh, from Halloween when I was small, seven years straight out. Toy Story, mm. underwear every day in school. <laughs> I actually did. I would Monday through Friday costume. I had like two. I probably school. had like ten. Yeah, I'll cry. 
You, you would if you didn't get the Woody costume. Yeah, I cried. She wouldn't let me wear it. That is amazing. So, how long did that last? Uh, I'll say, probably. I think it was like third grade. I start being around other kids and like you know. Now, do we still feel the same way about all the Toy Story movies? I love Toy Story. <laughs> it's, it gets I, you. I hate. I hate that Buzz made his own movie. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that. Well. I was just sad when Andy had to give him away. Yeah. That was that that got yeah. me. Yeah. That, that that was that was the hardest part. So, I just I'm just trying to imagine you in, in elementary school with the Toy Story. Mm-hmm. So your mom had to go buy more Toy yeah, Story pajamas. I had, for? I had like a whole closet full of Toy Story. <laughs> like I had a whole closet. I had the book bag. So I was really like him going to school. And and little did she know at the time that that would make it easier for, for people to identify your touchdown runs. Yeah. Yeah, pretty big right there. <laughs> Woody, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. No problem. We now know how Woody Marks got his nickname and what a story that is. I do love a good nickname in college football, and, and I'm talking about not sweetness, Walter Payton, that sort of thing. I'm talking about the name that you are called by by your teammates who may or may not even know you have a given name on your birth certificate. So we're not talking about the names that were given to people at birth. So I'm sorry to Coldest Crawford. I'm sorry, General Booty. We'll have another day to pay tribute to you. We're talking about the Porkchop Womacks, the Cadillac Williams, the Booger McFarland. Did you know Booger McFarland's name was Anthony? I didn't think you did. Big Cat Bryant. Former Florida State fullback Pooh Bear Williams. These are the names that we remember because we do not remember their given names. We got a bunch of those in college football this year. You, you know about Woody Marks. Tennessee has a slot receiver named Squirrel White. Tulane has a receiver named Fat Watts. Not F-A-T. No, P-H-A-T. Pretty hot and tempting. Bear Alexander was playing at Georgia. Now he's going to play at USC. Juice Wells at South Carolina. And, of course, we're waiting on Alabama to show up here at SEC Media Days on Wednesday. You know who's coming with them? Cornerback Kool-Aid McKinstry. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.